Hi friends, and welcome to the Be Nourished podcast, where we talk about the nourishing things in life, relationships, food, jobs, dreams, and everything in between. Okay, so today I have my friend Caitlin on the podcast. We recorded this episode in the fall, but she was waiting on getting approval and all the things for her book that actually just released a few weeks ago. So um, you'll hear some things that um, only apply really to the fall, like we talk about football and different things like that. Um, So anyways, I am so excited to finally be able to release this. She has such a heart-wrenching but redemptive story about her brother um, and has turned that into a book and into a life that I think her brother would be so proud of. So I'm excited for you to hear um, this episode today from Caitlin. Well, hi Caitlin. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. As stated, I just am giddy over this already. I'm going to try to keep my cool and not fangirl all over the place, but it's kind of hard. Oh my gosh, there is zero (laughs) fangirling to be had, if anything, is um, for you. And I honestly wish that we could just like spend this whole time talking about like you and your married life and all the recipes that you've been um, (laughs) podcasting about and posting because... I feel like I just want to soak up all of your wisdom, but I'll try oh, to like so keep that at a minimal. Oh my gosh. We'll you're so <laughs> sweet. You are so kind for saying that. Yeah, I am. Um, I It's so funny. We mentioned this briefly before starting, but I just kind of like say a bunch of crap and I assume that people like want to hear. I've kind of always been that way. I just am like, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, send it out into the world, whatever, whether it's writing or podcasting, I'm like, you know, whatever. <laughs> Here we are. Here People we are. are listening. Hopefully, so at fun. least my mom or you know someone. <laughs> oh, I mean, I listen to your podcast, so certainly there are many other people You're like so me sweet. who are like out there somewhere. Yes, Hi, they're very very <laughs> sweet people. I know. I'm I'm confident yes. in that. Well, I'm so yes. glad you're here, and I just want you to tell us a little bit about you, or a lot about you, whatever you want to say. <laughs> I would love to. I am 26 years old. I'm living in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I've been here for about four years by way of, I grew up in Asheville, North Carolina, um, which doesn't get confusing at all, being from <laughs> a city that rhymes with their Oh city. my gosh. I didn't um, think about that. Yeah, so I mean, people always remember like a restaurant that I referenced that's like in Asheville but like somehow they like added an in and they're like oh where was that place that you were talking about I was like oh that's actually like five hours away I'm really hilarious oh my gosh (laughs) I didn't even think about that that's so true yeah Yeah, it's a trip for sure (laughs) but um I am an extroverted writer um who loves the intersection of anything that has to do with words and people so for sure podcasts are my jam um my day job right now, I'm working in the tech marketing industry as a content specialist, um, but I'm also really passionate about any type of like creative nonfiction writing. Um, I get to write for She Reads Truth, which is how we met. Yes. And um, I write for other publications like Fathom Magazine, and then I'm also um, working on my first book, which I'm really excited about. Oh, my gosh. I <laughs> can't not wait. I, this is the part I'm trying not to fangirl too hard because I am so Oh, pumped. my gosh. I'm very excited about it too. Thank you. You're oh, super sweet. Um, and so that should be um, coming out in the spring. And so we're working on like crazy detail stuff for that. But also my free time, I love like traveling. Um, I recently took like my first solo travel trip, which was incredible. Um, and then I'm also a perpetually disappointed South Carolina Gamecocks fan, <laughs> um, which oh, is really gosh. just my burden to bear. It's hilarious the way you put that. I, I kind of understand. My husband is from Texas, so we're Aggies fans, A and M. Oh, are you really? My dad yeah. went to A and M. Yeah. Diego. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they, you know, they're doing pretty good. It's mostly they just they make silly mistakes a lot of times, which I couldn't even tell you the logistical like words. But they make a lot of silly mistakes, and I think that it's causing my husband's blood pressure to really rise. But we're hanging in there. We're trying. You know, I have so much empathy for you. I think that Thank you. Uh, being related <laughs> or married to an Aggie fan is like oh a my different, gosh. like there should be a support group. Yes. Because they're, they're in a, another level. Like oh my gosh, the passion. Yes. I mean, so you, I'm sure you know, like all of the, the fight songs and like, I can't even think of like the technical terms, but like, so my dad has a CD of all of the mm-hmm. bands playing all of the songs that are really important to them. And he literally, that is the music 
that he played in the delivery room and I was no. born. Oh, bless. <laughs> if Clayton does that, so help me. You know, I actually don't know the songs, which is probably uh, enough to get me kicked out of the family. Not really. They're really yeah, cool. Yeah, but yeah. I, we're going we to a game. I know. We're going to a game in a couple weeks, and I'm very nervous because I'm not sure there's enough time to memorize everything. <laughs> there are so many songs and chants yeah, and so you much. You need, like, an accelerated course. I know. So, I mean, honestly, you're going to have to call in sick for a few weeks, I think, I think just so. to, like, catch up. Maybe we can, like, video chat with my dad and get there the pointers out there. We'll, we'll see what we can do. I love that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's next level for sure. I mean, Texas anything, really, Texans love just all, all the things in Texas. And Clayton, luckily, is not like that because I just could not hang, I don't think. But, yeah, when it comes to the Aggies, I mean. Yes, somehow your marriage has made it this far. I know. Very glad about that. It's a miracle. You're going to be an honorary Aggie regardless if you know the chance or not. I know it. I did just buy a scarf with A&M on it, so I don't know what that means about me. I don't know what that means. That's, like, a big first step. Like, I think that's maybe, like, stronger than your marriage vow. I'm not really sure about, like, how that all checks out. I know. I was like, well, we're going to this game, so I have to have something to wear that's not, like, screaming. I'm not going to paint my face, so, I mean, what are we going to (laughs) do? Oh, my gosh. So, I I feel you, girl. I feel you. Don't you also love cats? I love cats. Yes. (laughs) I just remember your office having, like, a bunch of cat stuff in it. I do. And, you know, I've always loved them. I'm not really sure, like, at what point or if it is already past where, like, that is, like, my identifying factor. It feels like in this moment maybe it is. Oh, my Um, gosh. But, yeah, like, I, I, I love cats. And I feel like every person I meet that doesn't love cats, like, it just makes my... Um, you know, love for them grow more. So (laughs) I don't have my own cat, but I have, um, my family cat is, I think she's 16 years old. Wow. Um, lives with my parents and I named her, um, Chloe after America and Ashley. Oh, of course. Uh, show so little time, you know, naturally. I mean, we, we have very strong bonds, and yeah, let's get the good solutions. You remember that about I me. Know. <laughs> I know. I don't know why. That was something that really stuck out for me. I just remembered that so well. Another thing that, so I was listening to some of your other episodes, and you were talking about how, like, everyone's introduction, um, like, based on your Enneagram number. Yes. Um, was. <laughs> yes. So, I don't know if you know what I am, but. I don't. What would you guess? Okay, I would guess because you knew you were very articulate in your wording and you're extroverted. So I feel like you could totally be a seven because you're mm-hmm. fun, but I also you're also very creative. Isn't that like a three or a four, one of the really creative ones? Yeah, um, I think you were right on the first one. I'm pretty sure that I'm a seven. Yeah, I totally um, think so. Because it's like... Yeah, I, it's hard though. I feel like I every time I like talk about it and I... And, Maybe this is just me, but I feel like seven gets a bad rap, like, oh, yeah. in the Enneagram descriptions, and there was, like, something that I saw the other day where, like, um, this is terrible, but, like, people voted on their favorite Enneagram numbers, like, oh, my goodness. people, and the ranking for seven was low. Really? So yeah. Personally, yeah, yeah. I would not have so, thought that, because sevens are the really lighthearted, fun ones. Now, I will say, if you are, quote, an unhealthy seven, then you tend to, like, avoid pain. They call it, I guess, the Peter Pan, where you just never want to grow up. And I have experienced Mm -hmm. some sevens like that, and it did drive me crazy. But, yeah, I don't think you're like that. Yes. Thank you. I think I'll take that as a compliment. Seriously. Well, I'm a one, or I think. Are you? I'm either a one or a six. I really don't know, because I, I... when it comes... Because I'm a counselor, when it comes to personality stuff, I care just enough, and then I just can't anymore. And right. so, I think I'm a one, but I haven't taken, like, the full paid test. But I I yes. kind of feel like the ones get a bad rap because they're considered, really? like, the perfectionists and the reformers okay. and, like, the ones who have to have things right, which is not necessarily a wrong description. But yeah. I don't know. I just, like, I'm like, dang, us ones over here get a bad name. But I don't know. A lot of it is true, so maybe it's whatever. <laughs> right. Like, maybe it's one of those things where it's, like, we take it harder because it's like something that we see in ourselves but don't like like because I I love ones and so maybe it's just one of those things that we like that's true personally or like see more of our own because we know our weaknesses (laughs) yeah and we're like dang 
Everybody knows it now. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> Maybe one day I'll take the real pay test. Lauren, I think Lauren's going to kill me if I don't eventually take, like, the real <laughs> test. <laughs> So maybe I will. That's so funny. I know it's it's funny, like the range, the spectrum of people that care strongly about the enneagram. I, I think know. you know there are some people that are like, if you ever speak a number to me ever, we're like not gonna be friends. Yes. And then there's some people where it's like their religion and like, oh my gosh, you're being such a seven right now, which yeah. I also am not a huge fan no. of. So I feel like I'm kind of in the moderate camp where I'm like, I think I'm a seven, but like, if we talk about it too much, then I'm probably going to like question everything I've Mm -hmm. ever done and get a little nervous about it. Yes. I totally feel that. Yeah. And my husband is not an, he's just like, whatever, who cares? And so yeah, I I feel like he balances me because I'm like, I find it really interesting, but I'm also kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. Right. (laughs) Yes. And I think like Myers-Briggs, I, and you know, some other tests, I like, have never really, like, questioned as much as I have as Enneagram. I don't know if it's because of, like, I I don't know if it's because I feel more insecure in what I am or, like, people just talk about it more, but I've always, I don't know, it's interesting to see, like, what people are interested in and how that affects how we feel about ourselves, I guess. Absolutely. I agree with you. I I agree. I think the Enneagram's really interesting, but I'm also like, well... I don't know. I think I think you're right in the sense that it, it is kind of open ended in that it lets you beat like all the wings and all the I don't know all the other yeah. crazy things. But I'm just like, well, we're, it's good to know who you are. It's good to know yourself. That's a good yes. idea, idea. But yeah, it's a tool. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be your only thing. Like the culmination of who you are and who you'll ever be. I think that's right. When it's used correctly, then. It can be a really beneficial thing, but it can also be, you know, like anything else, something that goes wrong, too. So, oh, yeah. Anyway. Totally. Um, we just solved all the world one. problems right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just do right here. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Okay, so you said you're a, what do you call it, a tech? You work for a tech company. Okay, yeah. So I work um, for a company in Nashville that does. Um, we primarily provide email services to Ooh. other businesses. And so um, I am working, like I'm writing a lot of blog posts and um, video scripts and other resources. I've only been about at this job for a little less than two months, um, but I love it so far. And just getting Yay. to um, write content, but also be with really great people is a great combination for me. And so... Yeah, it's it's been great and also provided me the time that I want to like invest in other projects. So yeah, it's been really That's good. Amazing. Yeah, you called yourself an extroverted writer. What does that mean? Well, I feel like when you think of a writer, um, uh, yeah, a lot of people <laughs> are like you know very introverted and want to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go to a log cabin far away and write a book, which I would love to do too. Sure. Um, but I think that it's, I found that it's kind of a unique combination of, you know, people that I've worked with on content teams before aren't necessarily also extroverts. And so I think that, um, working in marketing is something that I always love because it feels like that where those two meet of Mm. being able to, write things that actually motivate people to doing something and like getting in the minds of people and, um, getting them excited about something rather than, you know, just, um, writing and putting something out into the world and not really getting to interact with people on either side of it. And so I think that that's something like initially when I worked at She Reads Truth that I loved getting to do a little bit of everything and try out, um, Mm -hmm getting to work in marketing, but also I loved how people heavy that job was and getting to talk with an online community all day was something that was really fun. And I think that that kind of taught me something about myself that I wanted to, um, continue looking out for, um, in other places on my career path. Yeah. That makes a lot lot of sense. At first I was like, I wonder what that means, but (laughs) I totally understand what you're saying. Cause I do think a lot of writers or readers tend to be, a little bit more introverted, and I think uh, typically people equate introvertedness with, like, introspection, but that's not always true, so I like the way you described that. That's cool. Yeah, thank you. Very cool. Okay, Caitlin, so we're just going to jump right into the deep end here. 
Let's do it. Because I, I want to circle back to writing, but I feel like in order to talk about the writing portion, we kind of have to talk about the background portion, right? Yes. So tell us a little bit about your brother, Kendall. Okay. So actually, I'm kind of glad that we started talking about the Enneagram first because um, I think that's one of the really huge things that I've learned about like being a seven and my reaction to pain. And, you know, if you don't know that much about the Enneagram, it's kind of um, talks about like your core motivation and your core fear. And I think that pain, um, whether it's physical or emotional, is something that I've always, um, I think, been more afraid of than the average person. And um, wasn't always really sure what that meant. But um, so I have a younger brother who's two years younger than me and just has always been my best friend. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like the moment that he was born, I just felt like I needed to protect him really strongly I think and I also like with all the joy that came of being a big sister I always had this terrible fear about um if something happened to him or Mm. um you know feeling like things are my responsibility and I feel like there were some circumstances um just like with his health or like smaller things that kind of happened um throughout our lives that kind of just always kept that fear alive Mm -hmm. um there wasn't a lot of like you know external confirmation that anything was going to happen and I definitely don't believe that God like gave me fear or anything but um I guess just to preface that like this story feels a lot longer to me than it does in like the couple of events that actually happened but Mm -hmm. um what what happened was um I was 22 years old my brother was 20 years old um he was just so incredible like I feel like I failed to be able to put words to this but I think the thing that I go back to was like he was younger than I was but I looked up to him in so many ways and I just remember like you know, being in the car and like looking over at him and being, and feeling like I am so lucky that I get to be his sister forever. Mm -hmm. And I'm really thankful that I felt that, you know, in those moments and can go back to that. But, um, so he was 20 years old. I was 22 years old and I had just moved to Nashville. Um, I was, it was probably a month after I moved here and I had just started working at She Reads Truth. I was so excited for my, new life after I graduated college to move to a bigger city and start my career and really like, you know, dive into the things that I always dreamed of doing. And, um, my brother, on the other hand, he was so successful and so driven and he, um, he had written a book when he was in college. He was an entrepreneur and he was making like more money when he was in college with his, um, business than like I was making at my entry level job out of college. Wow. And um so he was just like, you know, over the top incredible. Um, you know, the cliff notes of the tragic story that happened was he got to go on a trip because he was um chosen as one of the top entrepreneurs in the country. And unfortunately a really tragic accident happened and um my brother was like he passed away. And I just will never forget waking up that morning and getting a call really early from my parents and finding out that things were not going to be okay. And not just being in shock, but feeling like I, in the fear and anxiety that I had experienced prior, that I had lived through this feeling so many times before but I had been alone and this was just the first time that everyone else had been in it with me mm. and um and so it's it's honestly something that is just so um so that was four years ago last weekend was actually the four-year anniversary of his death his heaven day what I call it mm-hmm. um but I feel like it has just been such a strange four years of um, wondering, like, honestly, wondering, I feel like is the biggest word of just trying to decide, like, okay, so what do I make of this? And what do I make Mm -hmm. of my life? And what do I make of God? And, 
what do I believe now that I feel like I'm holding so much disappointment? I feel like I've never prayed for someone more in my life Mm -hmm. than I have for my brother. So it doesn't feel like, you know, anything was a lack of faith, but it's something that like, you know, late at night when the doubt creeps in, you wonder um, what you could have done differently. And just it, it sucks to get to the end of that every time and just feel like I couldn't have done anything. And I don't, you know, like I'm living in so much brokenness. He's my only sibling. And so I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be there for my parents who live in North Carolina still. And I live in Tennessee and, um, trying to live the life that I feel like would make my brother proud Mm. and really make a name for his legacy and live the life that, you know, he would have wanted me to have, but also just like holding an insurmountable amount of grief and pain that, you know, as, I mean, as in the Agreement 7, but as a sister, as a person, as, you know, someone in their mid-20s who never expected to go through anything like this, much less this early in my life, um, I just, I feel like I'm learning so much, but also there's so much that I never wanted to deal with. That's part of my everyday. Um, And so, yeah, it's just been um, a lot, but it's been... Um, I feel like I have such a deep compassion for other people that, um, people that, you know, I used to be so afraid of their stories. Like I remember I kind of had always wanted, um, to be some type of writer or speaker. Um, and whenever I was in college, I, really felt like I would love to work in women's ministry and be a writer and a speaker. And I interned at Proverbs 31 Ministries um, Mm -hmm. in Charlotte. And this was, you know, before anything, like I, I feel like I didn't really have an experience with suffering, but I remember like going to the keynote speaker and like all the different breakout sessions of women who were doing exactly what I wanted to be doing. But I noticed like something that they all had in common was that they had all been through extreme pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And I didn't exactly equate that to like, you know, this is what you have to go through to get what you want. But I just remember kind of like having a little aside to God when I was there, like, oh my gosh, like if this is what it's going to take for, you know, if this is a part of the job, like I am out, Mm -hmm. like I do not want to do this. If you're going to like, you know, take someone from my family or something that's really important to me, like, so that you think I will talk about it. Like you are wrong. (laughs) And, um, but, but it's just so surreal because I think now, um, when I write and when, you know, when I talk about my story to other people, I think that I want to be really careful because I feel like I'm holding two parts of myself in terms of I'm holding that girl that was like, you know, I've been for so much longer of my life, the girl who was so afraid that something like this was going to happen to her. And I don't like, if anything, I don't want my story to scare her and feel like, Mm-hmm. what you fear is going to come true because um I mean first of all I feel like the way that things came true were never what I feared like they were they were different but also like when I feared things like I'm, I don't want to say that you know everything is so much better and it's fine but like in my fear like I didn't see the way that my friends were going to rally around me. I didn't see the way that, um, I would still be able to find a job that I loved and work that I felt like was important. I wouldn't be able to see the way that, um, my bond with my parents has become even stronger and the way that 
um, I've been able to connect with people on a level that I never even imagined in the way that God has um, just given me hope and words in ways that about things that I didn't even know were happening in the world and that I didn't even know are true. And, and, and then there's the other side of the girl that, you know, the people that I didn't, that were going through so much suffering before I was that I didn't understand that now I feel like, you know, I'm kind of a part of the club and I feel, Mm. um, kind of a responsibility to those people to, tell my story and to, to let them know that they're not alone and not just tie everything up in a bow, um, and say like God provided for me, because I think, you know, there are a lot of things like to me, the largest miracle is that like, honestly, I think my worst fear was that my brother was going to die and that God would also abandon me. Mm. And instead my brother died and I am somehow still here mm-hmm. and take, and I'm not just, you know, wholeheartedly like everything's great and fine, but I'm taking it day by day mm-hmm. and I'm trying my best to trust God. And I feel like he gives me, you know, enough portion for the day. Mm-hmm. And then I wake up each morning and I try my best to trust him again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, in writing, um, I was able, I think initially to find a community of people that were going through similar situations. There's not, you know, a lot of books about girls in their twenties that, um, go through a loss, especially in, you know, if there are, um, it's more normal, you know, all my friends are losing their grandparents currently. And so, or like, you know, maybe a few their parents, but I feel like it's such an acute and shocking situation to go through, um, to lose a sibling, um, much less a younger sibling. And then also have to watch my parents go through that, you know, like, I think, um, it is such like a responsibility in a way that I never would have understood of just like, it's not just my grief, but I feel the grief of so many other people and um, Mm -hmm. so many other 20 year old college guys that still, you know, come over to my parents' house for happy hour on -hmm. my brother's birthday. And, you know, um, watching the girl that my brother was dating, like, you know, go off and be like super successful in her life, but also have like, a situation that she never should have had to go through. Mm -hmm. And, um, he was the youngest in our family. And so it's just crazy to kind of reverse and go back, but also just see, like, I can't believe that we've made it this far. (laughs) And, um, yeah. So I feel like that was like for sure a mouthful. (laughs) No, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. You know, I, um, I haven't had a sibling pass away, but my grandparents, both of them passed away within two months of each other four years ago as well. And I remember the only way that I could describe how I felt was that I felt untethered. I didn't know, I did not know another way to describe it. And I can't imagine the pain of losing a sibling, but it was like, I don't know how to find my place in the world anymore because who I thought I was, was very largely in conjunction with them being here And I hear some of that when you talk about your brother, you know, you mentioned that he's your younger brother and things like that, but still so much of who you are and who you were was wrapped up in being his sister. And so when he was no longer there, it's like, wait a minute, I I really, I felt untethered from the earth. I did not know how to find grounding again for a while. And I still sometimes feel that. So I kind of hear some of that. And what you're saying is like, you have to relearn how to be a person on the planet because a huge chunk of who you are and who you were is no longer here. And like, what do you do with that? How do you deal with that? You know, nobody tells you how to deal with that because it's not supposed to happen that way, you know? Right. I feel like untethered is such a good word and definitely something that I experienced. Um, yeah, I feel like it was so strange because, you know, I had just moved to Nashville. Um, I, basically only knew the people that I was working with that she reads truth. And, um, I just felt like being coming back to a new city and 
making the choice to come back, even though I was really unsure if that was the right decision or not. Um, and having to meet every person that came across my path and not just like have a best friend come over and, um, Mm -hmm. watch sad movies and cry or like, um, you know, just like, I didn't have my people in this city. Um, and it was exhausting feeling like, okay, like I really need friends, but I also like anyone who I meet, I'm going to go to this coffee date with them and like, I'm going to have to tell them what I'm going through. And like, I don't even understand what I'm going through much less be able to tell them much less be able to like, you know, carry on a lighthearted conversation and try to make a friend. Um, Mm. And so it was just like a lot of um, circumstances that happened at once where I feel like I saw um, a really clear depiction of what I thought my life was going to be and realized that it was not going to turn off that way at all. Mm. Which is so hard like I think people underestimate the shifting of an identity I mean that can be very devastating like especially when it wasn't your choice you know it, it wasn't your call that that happened to you yeah exactly that's so huge I feel like um and there's just so many aspects of grief like I feel like you know grief has never been like a camp I would like to associate myself with no. and it just feels so um depressing and like I was you know a young professional trying to live my life and um but there were just so many ways that I feel like it played out for me that were not similar to the things that I read or what I expected um it was just so like for me there was so much physical pain um Mm -hmm. and illness and just um I think that because I um was also, you know, experiencing it very closely to my parents. It took me a while to give myself the freedom to kind of understand what I felt instead of, um, Mm. you know, just kind of being in survival mode and um, doing whatever I could as, you know, now their only child. And I feel like there were several years that were just like, Honestly, if we just survive this, that's a win, you know, yeah, like, absolutely. and my parents and I ex- experienced it all very differently. And so, um, mm. I feel like I'm just, I'm grateful that, um, there is kind of a little glimpse of the other side or just like taking another step or just kind of like the passing of time, mm. um, you know, really does help but then at the same time it you know Sundays I wake up and it feels like it was yesterday Mm -hmm. and so um it's such an interesting balance and I think that especially for me and my personality um and feeling like you know my identity was so tied not only to being Kendall's sister but also to being someone who was so happy and energetic all the time, Mm. I just didn't know who to be or what to do. And, um, I felt like, you know, the parts of the personality that I wanted to have, especially when looking for new friends in a fun new city, um, I just couldn't be that anymore. And so I feel like, um, I've been able to, it's, it's really sent me searching for like, how do I, you know, have this personality and feel like myself while also acknowledging the really tough situation that I'm in. Mm. Um, because I never wanted to, you know, be really happy and enthusiastic and people think, huh, well, Kayla seems to be doing fine. Yeah. (laughs) But then also like, I just didn't, And I think that that's, you know, part of um, my life beforehand. But, like, I had never really allowed myself to 
really sink into pain and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, see it as something that is still worthy in the eyes of God and not purposeless. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think, you know, it's not something that he overlooked. I think, you know, the jury's still out on a lot of the big questions that I have about why bad things happen and, um, other big questions like that, that you're faced with when, you know, something really tragic happens, you know, in your personal life or in our country or, to a family that you're really close with but I think Mm -hmm. it has helped me become a more wholehearted person who is kind of able to um, embrace various seasons and feelings and really seek them out for what they are and how they can point us to God or point us to questions about God um, that I definitely still wrestle with Sure. Well, and I think too, you know, I think the thing a lot of times people don't talk about or forget about is that the ripples after grief and after death to me are the hardest. You know, my grandparents passing was very difficult, but the living the life after has been the hardest part, really. Yeah. And I think I hear that when what you're saying is like, it's not so much the death. I mean, that was terrible, but it's also like how to live life from here. And I think what you said earlier about fear was so wise in the sense that, you know, when you were living with this fear that something would happen to your brother, you said that it it didn't, you weren't seeing the life though. You know, you weren't imagining your friends coming around and building community and and being able to use his legacy and his memory for something amazing. And I think that's a good thing to remember, whether it's fear of your job or fear of the world or fear of, you know, something happening to your spouse or your family member. Fear does not tell us life. Fear always tells us lies. And I think that is a good thing to remember. It doesn't feel true in the moment when you're feeling afraid. But I, in my experience, honestly, all the things I've ever been afraid of, either they don't ever come true or if they do happen, they don't ever happen as badly as I think they will. Um, And it doesn't mean that it's not bad. and It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. But it's just, I think, like you said, it's not the full picture. And I think that's an important thing. And I hear that that's what you're saying as well is like, it has been so hard. It has been harder than you imagined, but at the same time, there's a lot of pieces in this that have been redemptive that you didn't see coming either. And I think that's that's a really good lesson for us. It's hard. It's so hard, but there, it's not without hope. It is hard. Yeah, and I think um, you were talking about the ripples of grief. I just remember like when it initially happened, um, just having the refrain in my head of like, oh my gosh, the rest of my life feels so long. Yeah. Um, of, you know, such like an identity that I had that I never thought I would have to give up. You know, I was mm-hmm. talking about how I remember feeling like I'm so lucky that I get to have my brother forever. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I think it, it's still something that evolves and changes. Uh, I think it's interesting to see the expectations that other people have of grief, um, Mm. and kind of navigating that in my relationships, because I think there is kind of something in our culture as well that doesn't really welcome pain. And I think that we want to move on and feel like the expectation is, you know, there's a set amount of period that you're supposed to grieve and then you pick up and you move on with your life. And, Mm -hmm. um, I remember someone told me um, when my brother passed away that, you know, I it, I feel like there's so many people that have so many good intentions. Yes. But they said <laughs> something like, um, you know, well, you're lucky because this happened while you were young and you have so much ahead of you oh that, like, you're going to go on and get married and you're going to have your own family. And I feel like what they were basically inferring was, like, you're going to forget this, you know, Ugh. which like isn't something that I feel like they meant, but that's what I heard. Sure. And, and they were saying, you know, like you should feel bad for your parents because 
you know, they basically have lived their whole lives and now they're approaching retirement and then this happens and then now what, you know? And um, oh my gosh. so it's just interesting to see the expectations that people have because, you know, I was thinking the opposite, like, okay, well, like one day our family is going to be me. And like, mm. what if I don't get married? And then it's just literally me, mm. like feeling these feelings and remembering you know, what things used to be like. And, um, yeah, so I think it can really go either way, but I do, I am grateful that, honestly, that grief changes. I wouldn't necessarily say it gets better, it gets easier. I think it changes enough that we can, um, kind of learn things from it over time. And I think if it were the same and, you know, the same pain points and the same amount of pressure every day that, um, it wouldn't be bearable, but I think that it is, you know, God is gracious in that he gives us, um, just enough hope to make it through. I think that Mm -hmm. you can kind of see through some of the clouds of grief to see that maybe that's not all there is in your life. Yeah. So Caitlin, you mentioned your book and I'm wondering, and I feel like I can assume, but I'm wondering how much of your brother's story and what has happened with that and how you've been processing that and feeling with that has contributed to this book. I mean, I would assume that it would have to affect it, but I'm curious as to kind of what caused you to want to write a book right now. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, my experience with grief and losing my brother, especially in my early 20s and going through something that most people my age were not going through at the same time, um, caused me to feel very isolated in my circumstances and not only, you know, in the world of the 20-somethings, but also in the grief community of people that were, um, you know, grieving the loss of their grandparents or their parents or things that seemed, you know, were equally as sad, but weren't as, um, they they were just different. And Mm -hmm. I think that the thing that really resonated with me was that, um, once I started talking about the loss of my brother and writing about it online, so many people, kind of came out of the woodwork and, you know, I was able to meet a lot of people that were experiencing a similar loss of a sibling or, um, you know, someone really young that they didn't expect. But also I think that it kind of made space for conversations that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And, um, you know, we talked about how I'm in any gram seven Mm -hmm. and don't really, um, <laughs> necessarily like to talk about pain head on. Yeah. But I think that it kind of opened me up to those conversations of connecting with people that um and and learning that we all are going through some kind of pain, whether or not we um want to talk about it, whether or not that's the foot that we lead with in our stories. Um but I think that it was something that was really comforting to me was to normalize the pain mm-hmm. just in terms of everyone is going through something and has lost something or has been disappointed by something. And so I think that um, the heart of the book really started when I lost my brother and a lot of people sent me books and I would go to the bookstore and kind of try to find a book on grief, but I never really found what I was looking for. And I mm-hmm. think... Um, all of the things that I saw were, first of all, like aesthetically, um, design is something that really matters to me. And so I think that, um, all the things that I found just kind of amplified the sadness that I felt. Mm-hmm. And there was so much gray and black and, um, just, despair, which of course I was already feeling anyway. It wasn't like I was trying to avoid those feelings, but I think I was trying to figure out what else I could hold, um, during that time. And I think the things that I wanted to hold were community and hope and grace and, um, togetherness. Mm -hmm. And that's not really something that I felt was easy. And so I, I think the more that I read grief books and read the Bible and was going through um, the experience that I had in community, um, 
And I, I was really fortunate to have a group of people in Nashville um, who kind of became my family at the time. And, you know, I didn't know them for very long, but Rebecca was the one that I shared an office with at She Reads Truth. And she was the one that drove me home the day that my brother died. And although she never met him, she really understood what it meant um, for me to lose him. And um, during that car ride, we were calling her husband and I was asking him really hard questions. Like, you know, I thought that God wasn't supposed to give me more than I could handle. And Mm -hmm. um, what the heck is this? Because it definitely feels like more than I can handle. And um, I think that God was really gracious in giving me Caleb and Rebecca, and I'm so grateful that they um, are a part of my book story, too, because um, I think that I connected with them in a way that I never would have otherwise. They um, have six children. They have been living Mm -hmm. in Tennessee for a long time. They... um, you know, just live an entirely different life than I do. Um, I had recently moved to Nashville. I was single and um, living with roommates and on my own and trying to figure out what my path was going to be. And I think that, you know, if we had just met walking down the street, we never would have thought that we would have had anything in common. But Mm -hmm. I think that grief is something that kind of brought us together and showed us a connectedness, um, through hope and through the gospel and through the need of comfort, um, and, and true comfort, not just cliches or, um, you know, there, I think there are a lot of statements that I believed that helped me through the easy days, but they didn't really stand up and help me whenever everything in my world was crumbling down. Mm. And, um, so I think that they were kind of with me on this journey to figure out like, what can we really believe and what is true and through their own stories of adoption and, um, parenting and disappointment and just, just so many other different aspects of pain that they had been through, um, were really comforting to me in ways that I didn't expect. And, um, and then Simone, Wilder, who is just an amazing artist. Mm -hmm. Um, She moved to Nashville also to work for She Reads Truth. And um, it was kind of the same thing. It was, we didn't exactly ever set out to be really good friends, but she was just someone that I connected with um, right away. And she, she's hilarious, but she's so compassionate and kind. Mm -hmm. And I think that whenever I, think about grief and the really hard things that I've been through and the, you know, immeasurable suffering of the world out there. People have been through things way worse than I have. I really hope that they have people like Rebecca and Caleb and Simone. Mm. And so it's, it's just been an honor to be able to collaborate with the three of them and work on um what is going to be called the book of comforts and it's we decided to make it kind of a coffee table style book instead of you know um like a novel or something like that like Mm -hmm. we really wanted artwork to be really important and we wanted it to be um something that was comforting and rooted in scripture and had really insightful and thoughtful devotionals but we also wanted it to be something that wasn't isolating that Mm -hmm. you would feel comfortable giving your friend the book of comforts if they were going through a really difficult loss if they were going through a breakup or a miscarriage, or any kind of disappointment, Mm -hmm. Um, because we really hoped that it would be a conversation that would kind of be had in community and around the table and sit on your coffee table and not just be something that you take out whenever you're having a hard day, but something that would kind of um, exist in your everyday life and bring you comfort um, when inevitably the pain comes. And so I'm really grateful, and I think that... um, I love being able to think that um, my brother's story is a little bit intertwined in this 
um, and just that some good has come from it. But also, you know, like, I don't want it to be like, oh, this is the redemption of everything, because I think that this is honestly only the beginning of a conversation that I want to start about. You know, life is really hard and suffering is very real, but Mm -hmm. so is the gospel and so is hope. Mm -hmm. And how do we hold all of those things? And so I'm really Mm -hmm. excited to um, kind of be able to bring that conversation to light. Well, girl, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Consider this my pre-order because... (laughs) I need not just one for me, but one for everyone I know. Because to me, like I could shout this from the rooftops and especially being a counselor, I work so hard to provide a different experience for people because everybody, it's seemingly in the world, everybody's experience with grief or with loss or with hurt is, is linear. It feels like this is hard. And like you said, all the grief books are gray or black or they're like depressing looking. And I love that you have decided to take something about something so hard and make it instead a source of hope and like there is more and it can be beautiful it doesn't take away the difficulty of what is being experienced but it doesn't mean that it has to be like this forever and there's more and I think that's so important and everyone needs that they need to hear that even if they don't know that they need to hear it and I also love that you're saying like it doesn't take it away because I do think some people feel like If I don't acknowledge that this hurts and this happened, it's almost like I'm not honoring that person or I'm not honoring the experience. And so it's like hard to get better sometimes because we don't want it to be like it didn't happen or, you know, I don't know. The brain does weird things, but I love how you're saying it doesn't mean that it's like over, you know, it doesn't mean that it took away the gravity of the situation and how it completely changed your life. But it just means that this doesn't have to be all there is. And I think that is going to be so beautiful for people, not to mention the beautiful artwork, but I don't know. I just, I think it's really powerful to say both and like, this is both terrible and also not it. I mean, that's, to me, that is extremely powerful. So I am really excited about it. If you can't tell. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really am too. And I love the concept of both and too. And I think that honestly, that has been the biggest thing that has kept me going in terms of, you know, just not knowing how to make sense of all of the bad things that happen in the world. And, um, I think that, you know, when tragedy happens, we don't have to let go of hope, but also vice versa. Like it's we're we're allowed to sit in sadness and mm-hmm. grief. And I think that, um, there's also a, a way through instead of a way around and that it will, um, will be better for it. And, you know, it's painful. It's not just, we want to get through to get to the end of it and then to experience hope forever. I think that, you know, we experience things in equal measure and it's painful. And, um, I don't, I definitely don't think grief's linear. And I am so grateful for a counselor who has kind of been with me through this journey of, I think my, um, experience was a little bit different because I really wasn't ready to go to counseling until a few years after my brother passed away. But I remember, Initially, something that a counselor said to me that I didn't like was just that they, you know, I was just like, please help me find a way out. Like, what do I do? What do I do next? And she said um, the most isolating thing. And it was, um, well, you have to remember that I've never lost a sibling. And, And I think that honestly, like that just sparked a fire in me of, but but we've all experienced some kind of pain and loss of a dream or loss of hope or something. And I think that, you know, not to rail what that counselor said, because I feel like it's, you know, all well intentioned, but just, I think that that's hurtful to one another. Um, whenever we're going through something that's really hard to say, like, I don't know what you're going through or to compare our pains because Mm -hmm. we need each other and we need community and we need counselors who understand. And so thankful Mm -hmm. for people like you who make space for that. Well, you're kind. I, I think, yeah, I don't know. It lights a fire under me too. I just think, you know, joy and grief are the two uniting factors of human beings. And if we can't talk about it or if we don't, or if we don't know how, 
then we struggle and we, we do struggle to connect. And so I love that you are putting both in a book. Plus, I just love all of you guys and I fangirl. <laughs> I think I t said this earlier, but I just sit like a puppy and watch you guys. And I'm like, wow. And I just think all of y'all's oh lives are amazing. <laughs> really? I'm like, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us again. I think you mentioned it earlier, but when does the book come out officially? It's going to come out at the end of March 2019. Okay. And so we should be doing some pre-order stuff before that. Um, so you should be able to follow along and, you know, it should be available wherever books are sold. And we're so excited oh to Amazing. be in community and um, just to be able to talk about the hard things, but not stay there either, you know, to the both and. Yes. Yes. That is so exciting. Okay, so what is nourishing you now? Because I know that you are in the midst of, you know, you're working and you're living your dreams and you're going to Preds games. And, oh, and, my gosh. <laughs> I saw that on Instagram where you were, like, trying to get on the Jumbotron. So good. I love it. Oh, it's it's really a dream of mine. And I think it just still persists because it didn't work out this time. But okay. one day we'll make it on yes. the Jumbotron. <laughs> that would be amazing. I, I've never been on the Jumbotron either, but I can only imagine it being really fun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> One day it will yes. happen for us. Um, but actually, something that's nourishing me right now is that um, a few girlfriends and I just started a book club. <gasps> Fun. And yeah, I'm super excited about it. We just read um, our first book. It was called The Alice Network. And I've heard of it. I hadn't been... Um, a big fan of fiction for a while. I don't know. I don't know why, but this really helped me get out of my funk. And it was like a really good, like historical fiction book. And, um, we actually just had like our first meeting last night and we all finished the book and, mm -hmm. you know, like sat around and drank wine and we're talking about it. And one of the girls was talking about how, um, her grandmother has been in a book club for 60 <gasps> years. No way. I know. That's and amazing. so I think that, um, it's just been really nourishing me to do something fun and lighthearted like that, but mm -hmm. also be able to do it with other people and read books that I wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. I listened to the podcast, What Should I Read Next? Which, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, it's so good, but it makes my TBR list like incredibly long. And they talked about that. Is it a series or is it just one book? I'm pretty sure it's just one book. I know that the author has written a few other books, but okay. um, I think that this is the only one so far, but I really enjoyed it and would recommend it. Oh, man. Well, so it's, you should move it up on your list. I know. <laughs> it's like on my list, and I'm, oh, man, because I typically, I have so many books and not enough bookshelves, so I yes, try to do, always. like, audiobooks and stuff, but that kind of makes me a little sad because it's just not the same. So yes. I'm like, well, I'll just have to figure that out. But yeah, I have a ton of books that I'm trying to read. So I will definitely move that up. <laughs> yes, we, we just decided that we're going to read a book called The Heart's Invisible Fury next. Have you read that? Oh, no, I don't even think I've heard of it. I haven't either, but apparently it was, um, you know, like the book of the month club. It mm. was their book of the year last year, like when people. Uh, apparently everybody voted and said that that was their favorite book of the year. So oh. I feel like that's a pretty good sign. Hopefully. That is a <laughs> good sign. Posted. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I love to read. Reading is a nourishing thing for me as well. So that's, I always love it when people say that because that's so Yeah. Nice. I feel like it's fun to just count the things that are nourishing that are not huge in your life, but mm -hmm. help you kind of create healthy rhythms. So Absolutely. Yep. I'm thankful for that. I totally agree. Well, Caitlin, I'm so thankful for you and I have loved talking to you. I just think I'm so excited genuinely for your book and I can't wait to start telling everyone about it and it's just going to be amazing. And tell us where we can find you or the book or like all the things, social media, all the things. Great question. Um, I would say the best place to find me is um, CaitlinWernett.com. I'm Caitlin Wernett on all of the things. I'm sure that you um, will help our friends out with spelling yes. all the things because, you know, there's over 300 ways to spell my name. <laughs> yes, so um, I will. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and that's where I'll be posting all of the updates about the book and the official book website and all those things. So that would be the best way to keep in touch. Okay. Well, I will definitely put that in the show notes to make sure everybody gets that. Sure. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Thank you. This was so fun. 
I hope you enjoyed Caitlin's conversation as much as I did. I am just so impressed and so proud of her wisdom and the way that she has chosen life when she didn't have to. Um, such a tragic thing that happened to her and her family, but she has chosen to make something of it. And I just, I have loved being her friend and being a bystander of her life because I really think she has chosen the harder path. And she's chosen to really make something out of her brother's death. And I just I just love her. I'm so impressed with her. So everything is in the show notes that you will need. But please go check out this book. It truly is amazing. It's beautiful. It will benefit you even if you haven't even lost somebody. It will benefit you to read it and to know. Um, and everybody, like she said, everybody goes through hard things. So it's for everyone. Go check it out. You're going to love it. Have a good week.